Good evening. Welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law. We thank you for joining us this evening. Among the purposes of Black History Month is to teach African-American history, celebrate it, and to analyze its impact on the continuing struggle for freedom, justice, and equality. Many important events which have had significant impacts are forgotten with the passage of time and the transition of the individuals who participated in and benefited from them. One such forgotten but highly significant event in our history is the March 1972 National Black Political Convention, which drew more than 10,000 delegates to Gary, Indiana for the purpose of creating a national black political agenda. The Gary Convention became the largest African-American political gathering in history and brought together a diverse mixture of political activism, ideologies, geographies, and background. At the time, African-Americans of every stroke wrestled with the question of what direction should be taken in this country to provide political, economic, social, and educational empowerment for African-Americans. While many were of the opinion that the American system was not working in the best interest of African-Americans, there was a collective view that we, as a people, needed to agree upon and create an agenda which would guide efforts to empower our national community and interests. The guiding theme for the convention was unity without uniformity. Under the leadership of Mayor Richard Hatchett, a newly elected mayor of Gary, Indiana, uh, Amiri Baraka, a new poet, political activist, and convener of the Congress of African People, along with Representative Charles Diggs, a Detroit congressman and the newly elected chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, delegates were elected from each state and representatives of African-American social and religious organizations joined together to constitute the convention participants. The convention, which was held in Gary, in a Gary High School, was conducted over a three-day cold and snowy weekend and drew national attention because of its lofty goals, the array of participants and the guts of African-Americans to suggest the creation of an independent political movement within the United States. As widely accepted and endorsed as the convention was, it was met with criticism from some quarters, including Roy Wilkins, who was the president of the NAACP, and Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm, who was then a presidential candidate in her own right. Tonight, we are going to discuss the origin, accomplishments, lasting impact of the National Black Political Convention and the National Black Political Agenda 
which was, which the gathering produced. Joining us for this discussion is Dr. Ron Daniels, president of the Institute of the Black World 21st Century, the convener of the National African-American Reparations Commission, and a radio host on the Pacifica Network, WBAI, and a distinguished lecturer at CUNY, York's College in New York. In the interest of uh, full disclosure, I, I was also a delegate at this uh, convention and served as the co-chair of the uh, criminal justice uh, workshop. So uh, Dr. Uh, Daniels, uh, thank you for joining us this evening. Well, it's my privilege, my honor. It's always great to be with you. And uh, first of all, I wanted to salute you for your years of service. Uh, we're talking about the 50th anniversary of the, Nas the uh, National Black Political Convention. And as you have described it, described it a seminal event in the history of uh, Africans and African-Americans, Af people of African descent in this country. So if you were heading up the criminal justice workshop 50 years ago, that tells you just how long you've been on this journey. So. We salute you for your dedication and your work, and I'm I'm delighted to be a part of this incredibly important uh, conversation this evening. Well, just to just to throw some water on that fire, I was very young when I chaired that committee. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, brother. That's all right. <laughs> well, you know, for, for our audience, let, let's start this uh, discussion, uh, Ron. By you know, can you just kind of describe uh, some of the uh, efforts and activities that you are engaged in uh, at, uh, at at this point? Well, I think in, in a way, uh, uh, the Institute of the Blackwell 21st Century is a an organization that is what we do, what we call promoting a culture of collaboration to heal and empower Black families, communities, and nations. And we work on a range of, of issues. Um, uh, ranging from gentrification to uh, dealing with Haiti to uh, the issues of criminal justice policy reform and uh, and all of those issues. So uh, it's a part of a long journey that I've been involved in and an integral part of that journey was indeed my involvement in the Gary uh, Black Political Convention uh, in which I played an extraordinarily instrumental role uh, it was, uh, came at a time uh, where, of course, Black power had burst on the scene. Uh, in terms of context and background, it is not likely that Richard Gordon Hatcher would have been mayor in Gary without the Black power movement. Uh, he was elected uh, uh, 1968, shortly after Carl Stokes, a couple of weeks later, uh, the mayor of uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, and of course, I would say that Mayor Hatcher was one of the most brilliant and one of the most uh, politically uh, savvy mayors that we had. He was ideologically rooted in the concept of Black power and Black empowerment in a way that some of the other mayors were not. Uh, critical crossroads because Black people you know, had um, been loyal to the Democratic Party, uh, particularly coming out of 1960 when Black people were the margin of victory for uh, the Democratic Party, um, but some frustration about sort of the lack of progress that was being made in this era, tremendous consciousness bubbling up. And of course, we didn't have a lot of elected officials across the board, period. I mean, there were not, there were not a lot of elected officials. 
Congressional Black Caucus had just been formed and it was beginning to grow and develop. But there was a lot of division in the movement, sharp division between the, the emerging nationalists and Pan-Africanists. In fact, uh, you know, some of us would like to disclaim it these days, but we was calling some of these leaders, the Urban League and NAACP, handkerchief heads and Uncle Toms. And it was a lot of tension going on. The reason why I mentioned that is that the 1972 Gary Convention would not, in my judgment, have been possible without another event. And that is the convening of the Congress of African People in Atlanta, Georgia in 1970. In 1970, it was Imamu Emiri Baraka out of Newark, poet, playwright, political activist, formerly known as Leroy Jones, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant uh, personage and organizer who brought together a kind of, it was like a little peace gathering, the whole notion of unity without uniformity, to kind of begin to, to, to kind of cool out these tensions that had emerged. And this gathering, you know, the Congress of African People brought the people from all over the world. In fact, it was a delegation that even came from Australia, Aborigines who came to this convention. But the most notable part of it was, there were people there from all the way, all the way from Whitney Young, who was the president of the Urban League. And the Urban League was seen as one of those moderate organizations, all the way over to Minister Farrakhan. That was the breadth of it. And people came together and discussed and talked about how we might possibly you know, work together. And I will never forget Lerone Bennett Jr., the, uh, the uh, editor of, uh, one of the uh, editors of Ebony Magazine being there. And Lerone Bennett Jr. in his own right, a political figure uh, in terms of the architect of black studies in many respects. He was so pleased to see that nationalists, Pan-Africanists, radicals, activists could all be in the room together and come out with some semblance of unity. Now, the reason I say that is we, we, would, not have, we would not have been able to convene Gary without having some some sense of that, that platform that Baraka put together to sort of cool out some of those tensions. So it was on the heel of that. And 1972 was a presidential election year. And so on the heels of that, it was Baraka who reached out to, to, to Hatcher and, and reached out to Diggs. And Diggs, by the way, was a funeral director in, in, in Detroit. Uh, also, but he was also a leading Pan-African, as you recall. He was the chair of the the House Subcommittee on, on Africa. So this, this triumvirate came together and, and said, let's call for a black political convention. Uh, in a way, it, there were many conflicting, in some ways, different motivations, but it was really about, as you said, to talk about, let's develop an agenda. Uh, and that agenda was a part of the, a critical part of the process. Now. One of the most important things about um, the Gary Convention, because people keep trying to emulate it and re replicate it, it was really miraculous in some ways because it really was a participatory process. You were involved in it. I mean, it was really 4,000 delegates. The others were observers, but there was a formula that was put together. It was called the Morocco formula, frankly. And that formula, you know, you got a certain percentage of delegates based on your the black population, so forth and so on. But here was the key. The key was, it was provided that there would be three co-conveners, but one of them had to be an activist, a nationalist, or a pan-Africanist. 
that had to be accepted. And what that meant was people like me in Ohio, who would ordinarily would have been brushed aside by the traditional politicians, got to be involved. I was the co-convener of the Ohio delegation to the, the Gary National Black Political Convention. Mm -hmm. uh, Luke Stokes, uh, 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 Carl Stokes was one of the co-chairs. He yielded to his brother, Lou Stokes, and C.J. McGlynn out of, out of, out of um, Dayton was the other one. So, but that was important because that meant all across the country, Nassas and Pan-Africanists got engaged. And by the way, there was some skepticism. There was skepticism coming out of some of your, 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 your comrades in North Carolina, most notably one of the giants of the era, uh, Awusu Sadoki. We had some, do we want to do this electoral thing? I mean, are we going to, is it going to be real and whatnot? But because we were able to form a, 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 a caucus, a nationalist and pan-Africanist caucus, he was persuaded and joined in. And that nationalist and pan-Africanist caucus played a very important role in the whole uh, Gary political convention. So that's some of the background, that's some of the backdrop of, of, of what, went down and 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 like you said man it's you you and there's a there's a couple of films out about it you have to you have to see it man in terms of just bringing all these folks together there was the notables but and and then you you never forget queen mother moore standing in the lobby you know pushing for reparations and all of that and the floor was like organized just like a convention and so forth because you had delegates you had observers and and you had the caucuses and you had all of the the, the, the meetings in order to form the agenda. People like Congressman Walter Fauntroy, uh, people like Ron Walters, you know, as you well know, played leading roles uh, in this overall process. So it was one of the most phenomenal events in the history of black people in this country. And it did produce a black agenda, some elements of which have yet to be realized. If you're talking about DC statehood, for example, we still don't have, we were talking about DC statehood then. We were talking about the whole issue of self-determination for Palestine, which was one of the most controversial of the resolutions uh, that got passed. Uh, community control of education was another critical issue that got brought to the got brought to the floor. So it, it was it was it was really really a remarkable 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 gathering. And I think probably one of the most important important things is today we still talk about black agendas. We didn't talk about black agendas really in that same way prior to then. And we also set up a process by which black agendas would be developed state by state. And, you know, we can talk about more of that, more about that as we continue the conversation. Yeah, well, that, that was uh, really a, 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 a rich history uh, that was there. And, and, and your analysis of it uh, was obviously right uh, on point. And uh, it uh, took us right up to our first break. Uh, which we will have uh, right now. But uh, this is the uh, Legal Eagle Review. And uh, we are discussing the uh, 1972 uh, National Black Political Convention, uh, convention that uh, has long left the minds of, uh, of many people, uh, but uh, produced results that are still with us uh, today. And we're talking with uh, Dr. Ron Daniels, uh, who is the uh, president of the Institute of the Black World 21st uh, Century, but was a uh, co-convener of the Ohio uh, delegation to the uh, political convention. and also was a uh, 
an organizer in the uh, Congress of Racial Equality, uh, Congress of African People, sorry, way back then. Uh, and, uh, but we're gonna take our break uh, right now. I want you to uh, stay with us as we continue this uh, very important discussion and we'll be right back. Good evening, my name is Caitlin Chesney and I'm a current second year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law and this is your Community Spotlight event. The North Carolina MLK Black History Month Parade and Block Party have been rescheduled for April 2nd, 2022. The event is free to the public and will be held on Fayetteville Street in Durham, North Carolina. This will be a fun-filled event to celebrate Black History Month that you do not want to miss. Again, my name is Caitlin Chesney, and this is your Community Spotlight event. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Legal Review. Thank you so very much for uh, staying with us as we continue this discussion of the uh, 1972 that National Black Political Convention was in, uh, held in Gary, Indiana, through uh, more than 10,000 participants uh, there uh, for a, a three-day weekend of, uh, of discussing, planning, analyzing, and developing uh, what became the National Black Political uh, Agenda. And that was uh, 50 years ago, and one of the uh, prime movements of that. Uh, convention is with us uh, here this evening, and that's Dr. Ron Daniels, uh, who um, was uh, and has always been a very strong supporter of the development of the uh, agenda and carrying out and implementing that. Uh, Ron, let me just, just, just get back to you and just ask you, you know, going into the convention with all of the controversy that uh, surrounded it. There was a lot of, uh, obviously, hopeful uh, uh, support from around, but there was also some, some conflict uh, developed. There was uh, um, the opposition from the uh, NAACP and uh, Shirley Chisholm uh, opposition and, and, and other uh, members of the uh, Democratic Party who were opposed to this, uh, this gathering. But what, what were your expectations going into this weekend? Well, I think uh, many of us in the nationalist and pan-Africanist community were, were, were looking beyond the Democratic Party. And one of the strands was to hope for a black political party, to be perfectly honest about it. That was our, that was kind of our aspiration. And I think one of the things that has to be captured is, uh, in, in, it was even in retrospect, but even immediately, what we discovered was the success of the Black is Beautiful movement, the Black arts and culture movement, the Black, I mean, Black folks at the grassroots level were, were far ahead of the traditional organizations. We, they, we had surpassed them. And that's reflected in the fact when you look at the preamble, and you know, I'm sure if people, it, 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 it could, in fact, we, when IBW gonna be do some re, reprinting, if you just look at the preamble, that preamble laid out an analysis it was a race class analysis. It said that the nature of the problems in this society were the result of the twin evils of racism and capitalism. 
Now, it did not go, it, we, at that stage, we had not advanced sufficiently on the question of gender inequality and LBGTQ rights and so forth and so on, but it was clearly a race class analysis. And it said what King said, we can't change this, this, there's no way that we will be able to live in this country. Not even white people will be able to live in this country who are poor unless we have, we transform that sentence, that system. And that black people should be in the vanguard of that system. I mean, this is a radical document. When you look at what was talked about, not radical in some insane, crazy way, in terms of the advanced notion of what we then call a politics of social transformation. So I think that, you know, that quite frankly, you had Democrats going in there because it was, and by the way, some of us were not aware of this until afterwards. It was, it was the Democratic convention was gonna take place. And so people were feeling, the Democrats were feeling a little dejected, rejected, understandably, we still have this, this whole question of will the Democratic party treat us fairly and so forth and so on. So they saw it as leverage which became one of Ron Walters, uh, one of Ron Walters sort of whole notion, presidential politics as leveraged politics. We came at it from the perspective, not so much of, of the Democratic Party, but building an independent mechanism. So when you look at how it unfolded, and by the way, some of the controversy came, and I'll talk about this in a minute, sort of after the fact, because of some of the resolutions that were adopted. But when we went in, there was an agenda to be adopted. So now, if you hear, Hatcher's speech, you hear him, you see he, he gets on the stage and he says, this is your last chance. Well, he talked to the Democratic Party. This is your last chance. We have come, we've done so forth and so on, and we are warning you. And then, of course, there was that was the country preacher, the Reverend Jesse Lewis Jackson. He gets on the stage and he talks about it, you know, he and he and he, and he said, well, you know, we're here and then it's like uh, when a baby is born and, you know, you get the wind and the water didn't broke. The black power, the, 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 the party's here. You know, he, everybody exploded. Now he went to, that's all leverage. We found out later that was all leverage because I'm gonna skip ahead, fast forward the tape. As soon as the convention was over, they took the, they took the agenda and went to the Democratic National Convention in Miami to negotiate, right? Now, <clears throat> what, it, what unfolded in the convention itself because it was what, what happened was, which, and people should appreciate this, at every level, people actually debated and discussed at the local level resolutions that then went from, from the local to the state to the national. Now, actually what you were being asked to do was almost impossible to sort of do in that shorter period of time, but at least that process unfolded. So we came to a time when we had to get the agenda adopted. Well, up inside of the agenda were issues like community control of education. Coming right out of New York, you know, uh, G2EUC and Les Campbell, I mean, uh, people like that who would, well, the integrationist tendency within the, within the, the, the uh, NAACP and the movement, they were for integration. They didn't want to go back. They saw that as separate but equal all over again. So that was a problem. The real problem, however, was that we had the audacity to call for a Palestinian state, independence for the Palestinians. Now, and I say disrespectfully, given the relationship and the dependency to some degree upon Jewish philanthropy and Jewish, and I'm talking about radical progressive Jews for, the, for these organizations, that was an absolute no-no. So when that, when there was, when that uh, uh, prospect became, uh, came out, 
then we had rumbling on the floor. So at one point, when we got to debating the agenda, uh, one of the most respected black mayors in America, Colwyn Young, to be, he was a labor leader, he was soon become, he threatened to walk out. And in fact, did walk out because of some of the positions that were in the agenda. Because eventually what we decided to do was have a composite vote on the agenda. In fact, that motion was put forth by a brother who just passed away not too long ago, Dr. Walter W. Stewart out of New York. And I heard his words, I moved at the composite resolution. You know, and he's speaking, he was from West, he's from Panama, so he had that, 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 that accent. And we went for it, called for the vote, and uh, Coleman Young threatened to walk out. Well, when he got ready to walk out, uh, you know, uh, Amir Baraka called from Ohio and a voice came out from Ohio and said, hey, you know, Michigan hasn't walked out. Part of Michigan walk out. It's nation time. That happened to have been Ron Daniels. And all of a sudden, <laughs> the, the place erupted. It's nation time. It's nation time. And I mean, he just, and, and, and the agenda was adopted. But when it was adopted, it included those resolutions in it. And so the next morning on all the TV shows, the head of the NA Urban, they were all, oh my God, they was panicking. It was like, they was like Michael Jackson doing the moonwalk, getting away from that. Because it, it had struck, but what had happened was it, it, the vast majority of the people were for it. Now, the other thing that became critically important in there was the issue of how would we move forward? And the the thrust was we 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 want to continue, and so uh, Intermichi St. Julian, brother from Louisiana, staunch believer in independent party, he rose and made the resolution to create a national black a black political party. It was again Ohio I had a little something to do with that that forged a compromise resolution that we would in fact have a national black political assembly with a tripartite leadership and local chapters as the continuation mechanism for the Gary National Black Political Convention. And that is how it came to be that we had the birth of the National Black Political Assembly with Baraka, Diggs and Hatcher still as the tripartite leadership. So, so we got out of there and, and quite frankly, the heat was so heavy around the resolution um, on Israel and the Palestine, Palestinians, by the way, that I, if I recall correctly, the first meeting after Gary was actually in Irv in North Carolina. It was. Right. Yep. And in North Carolina, when we met, we forged a compromise. And that compromise eventually became uh, the official policy of the U.S. government, even though the compromise at that time was still seen as too, too controversial, because what we adopted was a two-state solution. Israel has a right to exist. The Palestinians have a right to homeland. Two-state solution. But even that was just too radical for that time. But nonetheless, that's how we ended up with that compromise. Okay, Ron, let me, let me just cut, cut you off there for a second, because April has a, a burning question that uh, she wants to keep wants to get in uh, with you. So go ahead. No, I, I have been thoroughly enjoying this this history lesson and, um, you know, which, so let me, um, you, so you were talking about like moving forward. And so you were talking about the National Black Political Assembly, the meeting in North Carolina. And I, I will say, um, 
you know, it wasn't until Irv mentioned this event to me that that I became aware of it. And I, you know, love history. Um, I, I'm fortunate to be surrounded by so many learned colleagues, uh, but this was new to me as well. And I want to get your thoughts on, I mean, it was such a pivotal moment. Um, what are your thoughts on why this is not more widely known and, and understood in kind of the general population um, and, and within the African-American community? Well, I think it's because, you know, we're always under siege, you know, and, and there's a way in which, um, there's a way in which uh, these events go by and we don't, we don't often, um, we don't often uh, revisit them. So for a period of time, it was very much in the news because as we continue to come, it was very much in the news because you see what happened after Gary was people actually formed black assemblies all over the country. All over the country, people did, went back and actually formed local black assemblies. Um, Louisiana, Pennsylvania, I mean, Pennsylvania, Illinois, all across the country. Even uh, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. In fact, Idaho, uh, yeah. we, I forget our sister out there who was Secretary of State or, or the Treasurer. I forget the uh, wonderful, wonderful um, uh, woman, uh, uh, Hannah Atkins. Hannah Atkins. Yes. Uh, state, uh, she was State Representative Hannah Atkins, and uh, she was really, really great. And by the way, let me just quickly say um, uh, another note that has to be emphasized because I argue that 1972 was the high watermark of black nationalism and pan-Africanism in the US because there were two seminal events that took place, the Gary National Black Political Convention mm -hmm. and the Gary National Black Political Convention endorsed the idea of African Liberation Day 1972 on May 25th, uh, 1972 in Washington DC when we pulled out some 25 to 30,000 people. And I mean, I won't go into the whole story. So it, it was this, this, this great sort of awakening that took place. So, so April for a period of time, it was very much a part of the politics. And by the way, one of the things I always can, I, I compare, it's a, it's a kind of crude example in some ways, I compare the Gary Convention to the Manchester uh, Pan-African Congress, because there were five Congresses. The last one, major one was the Manchester Congress. And it was at the Manchester Congress that people came together, Manchester, England, and decided, look, this, this, this petitioning these colonial powers to be a part is over. We're going back to fight for liberation now. Well, with Gary, it's a slightly different thing in the sense that people did make up their minds that literally thousands of people would go back, not only to, to form local black political assemblies, they would actually go back and run for political office. So one of the great legacies of Gary is that it, it just emboldened literally thousands. And I, I used to have the numbers. It was something like, you know, maybe a thousand people beforehand. Within, within a few years, you had 10,000 people who had then, you know, state by state, really. And that's one of the great legacies of, 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 um, yeah, of Gary uh, as well. And again, these ideas you had local assemblies, state assemblies. I was, the, I was the, they came to be the president of the Ohio Black Political Assembly, for example. So for a period of time, it was there. But then, you know, as we ran into contradictions in the assembly, because that tension 
over the electeds because one of the issues became what is politics? I and mean, we had to debate what is politics? Is politics just the electeds? Does politics mean that if you are an elected official, that is the definition? Or are there other means of developing politics? And many of us were involved in saying, no, electoral politics is just one aspect of, of politics. You, you can also be do protests. You could be organizing and developing institutions. It is all of those things, not one of those things. And to be elected is, does not give you the sort of a, an endowment in and of itself. Well, you know, to the extent that we kept pushing independent positions, we really began to have a defection of, of uh, elected officials away from, from, the, uh, from, from the assembly. Um, the tradition, I mean, the, the trajectory was two years later, we were in, not by 1974, we were in Little Rock, Little Rock, Arkansas. And Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, was notable because you still had some strong elected officials. Maynard Jackson, I can remember him, his speech, and, and the most notable speech was the Honorable Ronald B. Dellums from the 8th Congressional District from California. And that's important because Dellums was expressing continually the, his frustration, not only with the Democratic Party, but with the sort of relative conservatism of, of, of the political system in general. And he articulated, he talked about posing the vital alternative. And so many of us just, we just gravitated towards uh, Ronald B. Dellums. And let me just quickly go back to and, and talk about Shirley Chisholm for a minute, because uh, that thread was raised. Shirley Chisholm's criticism was the way in which she was treated at that convention, because people dismissed her, that that was a, that was a degree of gender inequality or sexism that frankly was a part of that, because people dismissed her as an independent candidate, and, you know, and I, I won't mention names, but I, you know, I, one of the persons I respected a lot, you know, man, no woman got no business running for, you know, we don't need to be paying attention. So Shirley Chisholm was saying, you know, ain't I a woman? She was speaking in the voice of her the truth. No, you're not going to disrespect me like that. I have a right to run, just like anybody else has a right to run. So her criticism, I think, was different, I think. I have to go back and read all. It was about the fact that women should have the right and should be engaged in a, in a very meaningful way. So I think that a part of it has to be um, that, that after a while, you know, things, other things developed, the Jackson campaign and some other things. And eventually with the demise of, of the Black Political Assembly, that history also began to recede. Now, some of us, you know, continue to work on it. I mean, in some ways, some of the things that we did with the, 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 the um, State of the Black World Conferences, we tried to to recall certain events in order to keep that going within the consciousness, particularly of young people coming along. But you're right, we do need to do a better job. And certainly that's why you're to be commended for doing this program, because it, it is a, an opportunity for people to, 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 to know what happened. And by the way, what still needs to happen, because at this stage, the idea of people coming together to develop local agendas, even more so than national agenda, local agendas, and then saying that we will hold candidates accountable to that are still important. Because what we were trying to build, and Ron Walters was always on this, and I agree with him too, we were trying to build a black, a system of black politics, a black political process. That's that's different than, you know, what I call the phenomenon of the pop-up Negro. Everybody want to run, this one run, that one want to run, everybody want to run. And we end up in situations, if we've seen this, where you have black districts ending up 
or, or districts they may have maybe something like 40% black population and so forth, you, you have, everybody wants to run. And so therefore you end up losing a district. Classic example, good example, Memphis, Tennessee. Now I happen to like Steve Cohen. I think he's a good representative, but that was a that was the Ford, that was the Ford dynasty. That was their seat. They were, but because so many people popped up and decided to run, what does that mean? There was no process. You see, there was no political process to say, we're coming together. We think that these are the two, three best candidates so that that doesn't happen. So that's the that's one of the lessons to be learned. We still need to have political process. Other point I'm going to make quickly about agendas is it's not just the agenda. At the end of the day, it is what is your capacity to, 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 to I don't want to say impose, to implement the agenda. I mean, we can all craft beautiful documents and beautiful words and so forth, but then you must amass the power, the power to actually implement and enact your agenda, which is another critical lesson uh, that we can talk about. And then I guess, you know, after we come back, I want to talk a little bit about not only uh, uh, Little Rock, there was Cincinnati, and then there was the birth of the National Black Independent Political Party, all of which come out of the stream of Gary. All right, you are listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking this hour with Dr. Ronald Daniels, who is the president of the Institute of the Black World 21st Century. He was also a co-convener of the Ohio delegation for the National Black Political Convention, which was held in Gary, Indiana in 1972. We're gonna have to take a quick break. We've got much more to talk about. We hope you stay with us. Good evening. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and I'm a current second-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and here is a little more information about the 1972 National Black Political Convention. The early 1970s saw a collective outrage in the black community following years of discrimination and the assassinations of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. It led to a historic gathering of black leaders in March of 1972 in Gary, Indiana. Approximately 10,000 people gathered to channel that rage into political action by setting a black agenda. The convention had an ambitious agenda which included numerous issues, most of which did not and have not materialized. Issues listed on the agenda of the National Black Political Convention included the Home Rule for the District of Columbia, the establishment of a national network of community health centers, the establishment of a system of national health insurance, the elimination of capital punishment, the creation of a new urban-based homestead act, government guarantee of minimum annual income of $5,200 for a family of four, the minimum wage guarantee of $2.50, the establishment of a Black United Fund, and effective enforcement of antitrust legislation. And today, the legacy of the convention continues through many notable movements, such as the Black Lives Matter movement. Again, my name is Caitlin Chesney, and this is your Legal Eagle Review Spotlight.
And we're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking this hour with our guests about the March 1972 National Black Political Convention, which was held in Gary, Indiana and and drew more than 10,000 delegates. Our guest with us here in our Zoom room is Dr. Ron Daniels. He is the president of the Institute of the Black World 21st Century. He was also one of the co-conveners of the Ohio delegation of the National Black Political Convention. Uh, Dr. Daniels, you were talking uh, before the break about lessons learned and, and legacies of the convention. And we've got one more segment left and I wanna get your thoughts on Um, how we can take the legacies and the lessons learned from the National Black Political Convention to today. And and I want to first start with, is it possible for us to come together in a way that the Black community was able to come together uh, in 1972? Can we do that today? Well, we, we can, but I think there's a certain, there are certain formulas that have to be put in place uh, to do that. Uh, but allow me just a couple of minutes to just sort of, to sort of lay out some other quick history in terms of the trajectory of what happened. Because after the Little Rock Convention in 1974, um, we, we were facing in 1976, a presidential election year. And so the impulse inside of the, uh, the assembly to push forward with some kind of independent strategy was quite strong. And by the way, uh, Hatcher hung, hung in uh, and, and you know, for the, a period of time, Diggs actually, and I don't really remember what the reasons were ever, but Diggs eventually resigned. Uh, as I said before, I was president of the Ohio Black Political Assembly and on uh, in Ohio, which we've had the most formidable base inside of the assembly, actually. And so we convened a meeting in, in Columbus, Ohio, um, and uh, in November of 1974. And on November 16th, I remember it clearly uh, with Mickey Leland there out of Texas and a guy named uh, uh, John Warfield uh, out of Texas. I was nominated to be president of the National Black Political Assembly. So in 1974, I was elected, I joined the tripartite leadership. So now it's Baraka, it's Hatcher and and, and Ron Daniels. And what began to percolate was the idea of running an independent candidate for president in 1976. And that's another idea that, you know, that, that, but, but it was in part inspired by what Dellums had said at the Little Rock Convention, posing the vital alternative. So quickly we met in in Cincinnati in 1976. And in Cincinnati, uh, after a a process of which we put forth the names of of, uh, Dick Gregory and um, John Conyers, Julian Bond and Ron Dellums, uh, the others faded away, didn't do it, whatever. There's a whole lot of stories I can tell you, particularly about Julian Bond, because <laughs> as I actually stood in his driveway to get signatures. But Dellums came to Cincinnati 
and broke our hearts by saying, this is not my moment. And he did not, he declined to run as an independent candidate, but we had a lot of publicity around that. It was all over the, I mean, this was like major news. And Dellums declined and because it was perceived that he would have sacrificed, unlike white folks. Now, Dixiecrats could break away and be Dixiecrats and come back and get their, their chairmanships and so forth. Dellums was correctly told that if he did this, he would be kidding, committing political suicide. And in the Democratic Party, he would never, ever. And of course, he went on to have a distinguished career as chairman of the House, uh, House Armed Services. So fast forward to tape. So what that meant was, what are we, we kind of disoriented now. What are we going to do? The assembly now is really, you know, is, is shrinking. Fewer people are involved in it. And so what we decided to do um, after some other meetings and so forth, fast forward the tape. In 1980, we gathered what was left of the National Black Political Assembly in New Orleans. And in August, uh, around the birthday of the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey, uh, we came together and we declared for the creation of a National Black Independent Political Party. So you come from Intermishi St. Julian in 1972, making the resolution, we have the compromise creating the assembly to actually then, you know, uh, creating the assembly and the, the party. Now, I wish Ben were here because uh, Ben Chavis, who was a hero uh, because of his courageous struggle that he had paged ways with the Wilmington 10. And of course, this gentleman here had something to do with exonerating and see that he got out of, out of Ben had just gotten out and we gave him the honor of making the resolution. Ben Chavis, if he will recall, actually made the, 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 the motion to create the National Black Political uh, Convention. And we met with him in Philadelphia, another amazing gathering within 100 days. And I don't know, three, 4,000 people met and so forth. So anyway, that was kind of the trajectory of where the, the Black Political Convention went. Gary, 1972, Little Rock, 1974, Cincinnati, and then the culminating convention in 1980. Now, the lessons learned, it seems to me, are, number one, everyone should remember, it seems to me, the tremendous impact, if nothing else, uh, the tremendous number of people who uh, came to that convention and who went back to build, become elected officials. Uh, states like Mississippi, for example, I, I can't remember. I think there was a guy named Clark. I mean, who I think was one of the delegates from Mississippi. You know, he went back, and they and, and then a lot of these states and the whole idea of these political caucuses, at least, you know, at least the idea of them coming together in these areas, even though they were in the Democratic Party, to talk about an agenda. They did. That's a part of the consciousness that came out of Gary. Um, I think the 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 the. Uh, the, the other uh, legacy was for a period we had the assemblies. But the lesson that I still think needs to be drilled home out of this experience is that we still should be having local political agendas. And they should be put together in, in a, the secret April is to have broad inclusivity. It can't be dominated by the nationalists and the pan-Africanists or the moderates. And so you have to bring everybody to the table. And you can do that. That is the notion of unity without uniformity. And by the way, that's one of the things that we and IBW do 
quite well. It's bringing people. If you come to a Irv, you was at the and, and at the conference we had in Newark, and 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 you know you saw everybody. I mean, you know, we just, we have nationalists. We that's what we are. We didn't we don't walk around with a banner saying we're black nationalists. So we brought we could we could bring people from all the different spectrums there, NWC, Irving, and all of that together. And so I think that's one of the lessons that we have to be thinking about now. Uh, is how do we bring, how do we have people come together to, to, to utilize the best assets they have and also to maximize black political power in this regard. We should not be in situations where everybody who just wants to run for office can just run for office without some sanction, some process in the community, whether it's a black candidate or a white candidate. And by the, and by the way, in some instances, it may better be, be better to have a Latino candidate or 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 a or or a Native American candidate who's who's the best for our interests, but we should always have these processes. And in that regard, the reason why that's important is because we need to build a participatory process in the black community. There's this mistaken notion that elections equal politics, and I would argue and have argued that elections don't equal don't equal democracy. Participation equals democracy. So even though, for example. When 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 they when they knew when they have the black political convention that's going to happen so forth and so on. I mean, I can we can I can tell you right now what the issues are. We all know what the issues are. <laughs> that, in some ways, that's not even. But the process does become important for people to have their say, to be involved in it, to to say I think this and I think that, and getting right down to the grassroots level. And I I, I was so honored. When I was in Youngstown, Ohio, we had a we not only we had a state political convention, we had a we had a Youngstown Black Political Assembly, and I was like Carl Stokes came and 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 came out for it and whatever, but in that we actually had instances in which we actually had disputes between candidates, and we worked them out and were able to get people elected based on the agenda. That model needs to be continued. So yes, let, let me just let me, let, me, well, let me just interject a, a quick point uh, here, you know, because you talked about the National Black Independent uh, Political Party and, and where uh, what the results of that was. If you look around the country today, you can really say that the Democratic Party has become the National Black Political Party uh, because that's where we are all banked at, and that is where a lot of these conflicts get worked out now in that uh, electoral process. It does, and, and, and but, we, but you still, there's still the creative tension that we also, we had to resolve back then of to like, for example, Black Lives Matter, you know, or, and Movement for Black Lives. They actually, many of them set out the, 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 the uh, 20, what was it? The, the, the election with Hillary Clinton was in, but whatever year that was, mm. actually set it out. Because there was this notion, and we all went through this. Well, we can't involve in elect. We're trying to change the system. We can't, you know, get it without realizing there is a role to play. There is a way in which you you can engage, and you have to engage. You have to use every tool at your disposal in order to uh, and to achieve liberation. And so now they have what an electoral. The movement for Black Lives has an electoral justice roundtable they realized that they could engage. And one of the most promising developments, it really is something called, that a lot of people should check out, called the Working Families Party. The Working Families Party is, you know, is inclusive, but it does sort of look at this idea of the centrality of race and racism and therefore the need for 
black and brown and people of color leadership, as well as the leadership of those who are most effective being central. So those kinds of ideas, you know, I think are also in some ways a legacy of the work that we did around Gary, but we need to revisit that. And people need to, to people need to see the Gary film and they need to see what was going on. And, and the other legacy in some ways is, you know, reparations was endorsed. Green Mother Moore was out there pushing that reparations. She's, you see her in that film, oh, you gotta get your reparations. That was endorsed. DC statehood is still on the thing. If you, the whole question of universal healthcare, education, you go back and look at that agenda, that agenda, oh, well. that agenda was on, that, that agenda was on point. It was way ahead of its time and people kept chipping away at it and state after state after state. But, it, but putting it out there in the way we're doing now and people self-consciously going at it becomes uh, important. But the idea that we could, that the problem now is it would be difficult um, it would be difficult to, to do the agenda, the convention in the way we did it, because there would be the presumption back that electors would, electors would want to be, it would be like superdelegates. <laughs> you know what I mean? We didn't, have, we didn't have superdelegates at Gary. You know what I mean? But they would want to be superdelegates. You'd have to come out with some formula like that. And, you know, that it, it, it's, so that's, but you can't have gatherings in which you can discuss political issues. You know, and you can begin, you can talk about then how to move forward. And I'm sure that that's what will happen, uh, you know, in Newark uh, uh, as people come together and, and, and just engaging in it, just, just having the discussion to me is what's important because one of the things that we have to recognize, and if you go back and look at that, Gary, the, the, it says, we are the vanguard. It says that we as black people must be in the vanguard, the forefront of creating a new society. And what do we see? What did we see in what did we see in Georgia when black folks marched on ballot boxes using the language of the Reverend Jesse J Lewis Jackson? The rejected stones became the cornerstones. You know, those who picked cotton began to they pick senators, and we ought to see ourselves in that light. That doesn't mean that that's the only thing we do. Is we, that's not the only thing we do, because coming out of 1972. There was lost a free South Af a free South Africa movement emerged and was developing too. Because what did we also do? We used divestment. We used economic sanctions. We used boycotts. So it's not that's all politics. That's all how you exercise power. It's not one or the other. It's all of those things that 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 uh, allow you to advance your interests. But look at where we are now, where actually those who came on the slave ships and who were enslaved and for whom wealth was stolen are in the position of having to rescue and save this democracy. What a ironic, uh, poetic justice, so to speak, about what is about to happen. And we're doing it proudly. I mean, you know, we this is one of the things about Black folks in the spirit of my eye. There's always been that sense of being the conscious of ourselves and, and the country when we're at our best. And so I think that um, that's why you revisit, Gary, you revisit. We got to go back and revisit African Liberation Day. That had a whole lot of problems, too, because it, it ended up with us battling and not doing unity without uniformity. We, we ended up in the ideological struggles that, are, that in, in, a, in a sense had us miss the moment in terms of what our real power could be. But nonetheless, at the end of the day, you cannot not see the hundreds and thousands of black people who are elected office today without looking at Gary in 1972. Yeah, that is, um, I mean, one of the, the extreme benefits of looking back 
for all the reasons that you've already kind of shared with us is knowing that these discussions that we're having today are not new, right? And, and there is a foundation upon which the arguments that are being made today are built upon. And so knowing your history, knowing that, you know, you, you've got to, you, that we have to be forever vigilant, right? And the same things important in 1972 continue to be important today. We need to learn from um, our ancestors. We need to learn from our elders and, and keep up that point. And we can't thank you enough, Dr. Ronald Daniels, for taking time and uh, sharing this absolutely vital history with us. And we'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Ronald Daniels. He is the president of the Institute of the Black World 21st Century, the convener of the National African American Reparations Commission, and he's also a radio show host. He hosts the Vantage Point Radio Show, and you can find information about that show on his website, ibw21.org. And of course, we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email. You can reach us at legaleagloreview at nccu.edu. And if you ever miss this show on Sunday, you can find the show on our Legal Eagle Review podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next week, Stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe.